sets in the evening and the and reflected light in the cut glass and I think life is perfect there's nothing wrong can't think of anything wrong and so you know, meditate you, you're beginning to tune into what is perfect and rather than dwelling on what is wrong with with some, with oneself or the world that, that one is experiencing. I realize how so much of the human state is basically an endless uh, kind of obsession with what's wrong. So, like going to uh, Cambodia and Thailand, uh, where there's a lot wrong, in Cambodia <laughs> and in Thailand they're having economic depression there's a lot that people feel is wrong there and blaming the, the previous government or the politicians and, and the businessmen and the banks and finance companies and, and squandering money and, and uh, putting the country into terrible debt is one one way of dealing with it, or in Cambodia to see the the kind of the, the terrible things that have happened well on the past and on the on the kind of uh, instability uh, uh, that exists there. Quite, you know, it's not neurotic sense. It is very unstable uh, politically. So uh, there's there's a lot wrong in the in the terms of the maybe or the political or economic 
or social conditions. But still, in spite of all that, the meditator tunes into what is perfect. So this aim of seeing the Dhamma, of resting in the Dhamma rather than endlessly, uh, uh, you know, being caught up in in all that is wrong in the in the world. And coming back here and to there's nothing, there's no great problems or economic strife or political uh, political problems, but you still hear in the news and that what's wrong with everything about President Clinton. What's wrong with him? And and uh, and so the, this makes news to be to to emphasize the, what's wrong with something. And it's noticing this level of negativity that that accumulates in the mind. How it kind of it 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 just takes away one's whole energy, and and one gets depressed and kind of worn down just by thinking in negative ways. So in uh, life of a of a summoner, say for example, going uh, back to Thailand, where I started my monastic life, and and uh, what you know, there's, there's seen the the whole say review of 32 years of monastic uh, commitment. Uh, and uh, visiting various uh, who's left, many people have died and uh, disrobed and changes taken place and so forth. But still, the the uh, emphasis on say gratitude of, on what's right, what the, the beauty of the life, rather than uh, the say the disappointments or disillusionments or what's wrong. The, the life of a samana is based on relinqu- relinquishment and restraint. And uh, this, this I think for Western people is, it, we, we tend to see these as, as kind of, uh, uh, ascetic practices, uh, in which we have to kind of prove to ourselves that we can go without the pleasures of the senses and we have to struggle against the temptations of the sensual realm by giving them up. But that, you can only do that for a little while, then it, no longer do you have the energy or the inclination to do that, uh, just to, to uh, kind of limit yourself and kind of hold yourself back uh, through an, an act of will or through an ideal. So then we notice in the in the 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 effect of the say the meditation, if you're meditating in the right way, is rather than increasing this sense of of uh, having to restrain and force yourself into uh, the limited boundaries of monastic life, you find a, a sense of letting go, relaxation within the simplicity and the the uh, the simple boundaries that it provides. So, say after 
30 years of monastic life, I feel a sense of real joy uh, of, of, and, and a sense of simplicity in my life because it, the, the boundaries, living within the boundaries, say, of the discipline, Vinaya discipline and moral restraint and, and uh, just the reflective quality of the life uh, makes uh, brings one to more and more that realization of the present moment and the joy of just being and and being fully aware and awake in the present and without any desires, wishes, regrets, longings, uh, resentments. So that is a that is a. Uh, a perfect state of being, in other words, it's uh, one tunes in or re- realizes or uh, opens to that perfection in the present moment. When you have beautiful sunsets to watch through cut glass windows, I mean that that is a bit of you know aesthetically. Uh, Rare. Not many people have such opportunities in life, but but that's not the point. It's not not the the condition, uh, the external condition, but the state of mind. Because one could live in in that caravan and still dwell on what's wrong with it, or what's wrong with this place, or what's wrong with the winter time, or what's wrong with this monk or that nun, or what's wrong. <laughs> And not notice, not be aware of of the beauty uh, and the moments uh, of life that uh, that have those the external uh, moments where that uh, that meet us sometimes where there is uh, true beauty and joy in in a in a moment in the um, holy life. It is. Uh, it is a establishing that awareness uh, because uh, in reality there, there isn't anything wrong. Uh, the, that everything that it is perfect in the moment, and uh, so that that is something that has to be realized because it just is an intellectual position. Uh, emotionally, it doesn't work for us because we we see too many things wrong, and we 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 see uh, so many injustices and so many unfairnesses and so many um, things that need to be done, improved, uh, made better, gotten rid of, and and on and on like this. So they're just saying everything's perfect in the moment. It seems to be like a dismissal uh, to to the conditioning, conditioned mind, like you're dismissing life and just trying to kind of pretend everything's fine. But it, this is where, in meditation, you're getting beyond this conditioning, uh, the conditioning, the thinking process. You have to transcend it or... Or, or not be caught in the endless uh, proliferations of thought and emotional habits that you've acquired. 
So that takes uh, a, a certain amount of faith and trust and patience because these uh, these things are very compelling and overwhelming and and real to most people. Important thing is like in 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 the Buddha emphasized mindfulness, awakenness. And that always, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a focus, a present moment, the here and now, Lantitiko and Kaliko, Ehi Pasco, Opanayako, Bajitang, Vaitidapo, Vinui. To that simple state of awakened awareness, where the mind is in the present, where there's a pure attention, and that uh, is that, of course, you can understand the theory. But to do that takes an act of faith, because uh, we're very much uh, conditioned to um, see things in terms of the past and the future. What we do now is is uh, is what we you know we're doing it now so that we'll get some something that we hope. We want to get in the future, uh, and this this is how we're how we think, and this is how we're culturally culturally conditioned and emotionally conditioned. I, I noticed uh, over the years just the understanding, having momentary insights in the early years, and quite profound insights uh, into the Dhamma, but. But emotionally, totally un, uh, unable to uh, to to be really mindful because emotionally there the was still the the, uh, the emotions weren't weren't uh, conditioned through mindfulness but through ignorance through through wanting excitement through desire through through uh, uh, wanting to become wanting to get rid of. Wanting pleasures, wanting something to be different. So, so that is uh, emotional nature takes quite. That's where one needs to be very patient because it, it's a it's a gradual process of of kind of relinquishing these emotional habits. Uh, not through, it can't be a willful act, it can't be done just to, you know, as a denial or a suppression of them, but uh, a, a willingness to be patient with your emotional habits, whatever they might be. Willingness to uh, accept them the way they are in the present, uh, without judging without uh, making value judgments or moral judgments uh, about them. And that, uh, that is, in the monastic life is, is, I think, much more easy to do because uh, you do have a, a kind of form that holds you and encourages that, kind of ongoing reminders of monastic tradition uh, that that help us to uh, to remember that. 
with the stillness of the mind, when you begin to realize the silent, the stillness, the the uh, that is present here and now, uh, even when we um, realize that emotionally, we're not prepared to be still or silent. So uh, you, you notice you if you can get quite enthusiastic about silence and peacefulness. Uh, but in the ongoing uh, experience of it, it, it seems impossible to sustain it because of the emotional reactions to it. You can, you can actually get averse and frightened and, uh, and just uh, terribly just, uh, you know, can't stand it, can't stand stillness and silence and, and because emotionally we're, we're not prepared for that. I look at my own emotional habits that I they acquired before becoming a monk. They were all based on attaining something, on controlling, getting things, on, uh, you know, on, on all kinds of ideas of, uh, and, and feelings of, of personal worth or worthlessness. So that the self-view is uh, you know, very much uh, programmed into into our minds in the first five, six years of of our lives, where we get we develop a, 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 an ego, a sense of ourself as a as a personality or an, an individual, separate being. And then the things that happen to us uh, come. Uh, are interpreted in that way very much. The, the experiences of life are become very personal. You remember uh, teenage years, how uh, highly personal everything was, uh, more than you know, so everything was interpreted in terms of, of uh, one self at the center of what what is it to me whether I'm being understood loved or not understood disliked, respected, not respected appreciated, not appreciated uh, me uh, and and we develop this uh, this sense of self and the emotional habits around that so in the stillness of the mind then the, you'll find that oftentimes this uh, these emotions do arise. Stillness and silence is like a mirror. It's, it's almost as when Ajahn Chah used to ask people, did they come here to die? And they come to the monastery and say, did you come here to die? And people were quite shocked by that because uh, that that's a rather grim Suggestion, you know, you come to go to a monastery and want to meditate usually because you want some kind of personal fulfillment or spiritual realization for yourself. Uh, you want, you have maybe some kind of hope in, in working out your emotional problems and straightening up your life and, and getting somewhere for yourself. And so that the, this is a rather, um, uh, fraught 
question, you know, did you come here to die? Because uh, silence and stillness is like death to most people, to the emotions. The emotions need uh, need things to, to be fed on. They need excitement. They need interesting things. They need, uh, you know, they, they need to be... Uh, to, to, they, they need to be uh, fed all the time. They need to be uh, believed in and, and followed and attached to. But the, the, the way of mindfulness allows us to say, transcend our emotional habits. And this is where with mindfulness, we we become aware of of emotions, that feeling uh, uh, of happiness or grief or anxiety or or anger, resentment or longing, whatever the emotions might be. Uh, there, they are what they are, and there's an awareness of them when we mindful of them in terms of what they really are. Uh, there's this reflection on impermanence. All our thoughts, emotional conditions, and mental conditions are impermanent. So just by contemplating impermanence uh, around mental experience all the time till you, you actually uh, are uh, aware, realize the the cessation of your emotional experience, so that you're actually uh, noticing the way it is. That emotions, once they're accepted uh, and just not resisted or or attached to, but accepted and and one is patient with with them, then. Immediately you're aware of the their kind of how quickly they change and dissolve and kind of there's nothing much to them anymore uh, because in that awareness and acceptance of something then it loses that uh, that uh, deluding power that we get through attachment through following or resisting them like trying to resist. Uh, emotional habits uh, gives them a lot of power. Like, like repressing anger and resentment, the negative states like this, isn't it? When you, the more you try to to suppress them, resist them, uh, get rid of them, the more powerful they become. And then, the, then you go to the opposite extreme. I think it may be just express all your anger and say. So you cathartic expressions of you know, so you go uh, every time you feel angry you just shout and scream or do something to express it but that also uh, doesn't resolve the problem maybe it it frees you from uh, from resisting them uh, but you're still caught in them and they still uh, and you're still making karma with the, with that emotion so just by uh, learning to be patient, watching, listening, attentive, reflecting in terms of the way it is, uh, whatever you're feeling right now, 
uh, is whatever it is, you know, there's nothing, something, good or bad. Uh, it's this way, the way it is. It's just this. And so it, this is a reflective way of thinking where you're, you're reminding yourself that right now this is the way it is. It feels like this. I feel like this. Either physically or mentally. Then you can, uh, just by, by reflecting in that way, you, you're, you're accepting what you're feeling. You're not judging. You're not making uh, any comment, adding to it by saying you shouldn't feel this way or, or that the way you're feeling is justified in some way. But it is, all you're doing is just noticing it's this way. And through that, you can, you begin to, to observe the changingness. The, the kind of ephemeral movement and flux of mental conditions. And then they, then they, then they drop, they disappear. So in that, in, in, so in, in this way also we can see the perfection of the present moment, even if uh, that the, the, as we trust more, as our faith increases in the practice, then we don't even see our worst emotional problems and, and hang-ups as, uh, in, in a, in a personal way anymore. They're perfect. They're just what they are. There's nothing, they're, they're not self, but they are what they are. You're not trying to say there's something they're not. They're just this. And then that's perfect. <laughs> so even in the midst of emotional stress, emotional crisis, uh, a moment of mindfulness gives us that pers- perspective, that realization of perfection. In Thailand, the, the economic crisis is, uh, was uh, the thing everybody was uh, concerned about, and uh, and justifiably not to not criticizing because it is uh, it is a big problem and a shock because it was unexpected and suddenly it just the previous year when I was in Thailand it was. Everything was getting better and better, better and better, better and better, and uh, progress, and uh, uh, you know that sense of progress and going onward and modernization and all this were the, the words that everybody used. And then this year, it was uh, everything was uh, falling apart, degenerating. And then there was always this hope, well, maybe, you know, it's just a temporary setback and it'll all work itself out. And uh, the next year, then, then the predictions for 98 came. It would be more dismal than 97 for the economy of Southeast Asia. <laughs> that was another, because they said, maybe, you know, it'll get 
because the mind still wants it to get better and that we want everything to get better and better better and better that's what we want and we don't want things to get worse and worse worse and worse think down into the nadir of, of utter despair and depression uh, we we can we can always uh, but that's what we're afraid what will happen isn't it that will everything will just get worse and worse worse and worse worse and worse and that will be forever and then and then there's hope hope always says well things you know things change and then it'll get better and it'll get better and better better and better and that's uh, the way of the condition uh, the the uh, sankaras or the conditioned realm it's all about better and better worse and worse development and and progress and degeneration and that's just the way it is uh, all that works on, on all conditions you know whether it's uh, you know mental physical whether it's environmental or social political economic uh, universal systems and so forth, all conditioned phenomena are impermanent. The pain, sankarani, cha. The thing with, uh, in, in keep reflecting on impermanence is that even though you understand the theory and no doubt have had insight into it, it's an ongoing practice to just, to, to be more and more, uh, just aware of changingness in the present. This to, to, because the, the problem with many of us is that we think because we understand the idea of it, that we really understand it. And though I've heard people say, oh yes, I've had insight into impermanence, everything's impermanent, of course. <laughs> but that's not the point, isn't it? Simple enough, uh, you know, uh, that even moron could figure that out, but the um, <laughs> but it's a, as a as an ongoing practice, isn't it? To just be aware of changing this in the present, but in terms of experience now, not in terms of ideas, you know, about theories of change. So that this. Uh, this will definitely help to, you know, uh, over many years, many years of contemplating Anicca. The, the solidity uh, of the perceptual realm falls away because it's like, like our perceptual conditioning is, gives a kind of permanency and fixity to uh, the experiences we have to a sense of ourself, to, to uh, everything that we're, you know, culturally conditioned by uh, and the ideas and values and, and that of our societies. There's the personality perceptions of, of a person. This person is like this, that person is like that. Or you've got all these kind of racial stereotypes or class or ethnic uh, fixations and 
and all that that, that, that people actually believe in are, are real and true. But in terms of experience, they're ephemeral, aren't they? Any kind of perception that you, you, you know, every thought, every, every thought that goes through your mind is in the process of changing. Thinking moves very quickly, doesn't it? Thinking quite fast. Emotional impact is, is lingered, kind of. It has slower movement, but it definitely is changing. When you look at your emotional state right now, you know, it, it is changing. And you can say, I'm angry. Say, if you're feeling, when, when you're feeling angry, you say, I'm angry. And that tends to, if you don't, aren't aware, if you don't open and, and watch and accept the anger in the present, uh, then, then you, then it, you, you tend to to not notice the impermanence of anger as experience. Uh, when you really open and and watch and totally accept anger in the present, it, it's it's a changing experience. It doesn't doesn't uh, there's nothing static about it. But yet, attachment to the perception of I'm angry can make it seem almost like a static mood that you carry with you the whole day. And that when you don't really watch and investigate life, then you, I'm angry, and then you, you think I'm angry, and this tends to, to uh, create this illusion that you are somebody who's kind of, this, and this anger is a kind of, fixed experience that lasts uh, a long time because the, that basic delusion of a self I am and, ang- and the perception of I am angry is uh, it has you know has that uh, it's like like uh, you know pasting something on the wall it seems to to have a, a reality because it, it, uh, you, you actually believe it and you don't question it. And it's fixed, it stays there for a while. But in direct awareness of any emotional state or thought, well, it's, it's, there's uh, nothing, it's always changing, always moving, and and you can be aware when it's gone, when it's no longer there. And so, uh, you can, it's just when the anger is present, when it's not there, anger is not. There's no anger. It's like this. So the constant factor in all the experience is the awareness, isn't it? That's what you can trust in. The conditions themselves are changing dependent on other conditions and uh, they arise and cease according to conditions and other conditions and uh, but the the thing that you can always depend on and take refuge in is the ability to be awake to it to be aware and uh, wisely reflecting observing uh, contemplating it
using the stillness of the mind as a, as a reference. This is, I notice now over years, uh, many years of uh, my own practice, I became aware of the stillness of my mind in the first year as a samanera. So, so that stillness, you know, was, uh, but then the, the, it was due to kind of, uh, condi- uh, you know, I associated very much with the conditions of, of a kind of, uh, no kind of, uh, duties, not speaking to anybody, and, and the, and the kind of external conditions that, that, um, that I was experiencing then. So, but I did realize that stillness in the first year. Then the uh, monastic life, going becoming a uh, bhikkhu and going to uh, stay with Ajahn Chah, uh, was much more an active form of life than, say, the previous year. Uh, Bindabhat and work and all kinds of other things. One is expected to participate in monastic life. Uh, and so uh, this brought up all kinds of emotional reactions. So over the following years, it was more or less a, 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 a patient, a, a practice of patience and and, uh, and contemplating the impermanence of these uh, emotional reactions. And then uh, in the past, say, here in England, which has also been uh, 20, over 20 years now, the, uh, the practice has become even stronger. So that the the uh, the mind naturally is still. It, the, the, that stillness is is quite easy now. It's restful. It's it's easier to be still than to think because of the of the training of, uh, and the uh, of the mind to do that to keep keep letting go and and observing and learning. And no matter how many times you screw it up and get carried away, you start again. There's always a sense of, of here and now. Uh, enlightenment is now. Uh, Dhamma is now. It's not becoming. It's nothing to do with, with I've lost it uh, because I, I did something wrong, but it it's uh, always just remind yourself to be awake now. So, in terms of of working out one's karma, the the karma of uh, say uh, of this individual being here, and and how it relates to all of you, uh, and the and the experiences of life, then are. Uh, Less and less personal, and more and more uh, reflective. So that we we begin to, like say, for example, I can aware of of how people affect 
you know, the kind of impact people have uh, on my mind, on the mind. But the awareness is is uh, uh, watching is the awareness of the impermanency of that effect, rather than a a either a an attaching attachment or a resistance to it. It's quite wonderful in its own way when you when you can really receive bad news and watch the impermanent uh, movement of your emotional reaction. It's possible, <laughs> and so, <laughs> or you know, it's quite quite amazing to hear. Uh, unpleasant things or unwanted information or criticism, personal criticisms and, and have the ability to watch the impermanence of that, of that emotion. And so it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, I think from many of us in the early years, we, we just wanted to get rid of our emotions and, uh, and just have nice ones, you know, kind of love and light all the time, and and uh, just be nice and good, and 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 be bliss blissful, and and just radiate metta through all the pores of our body, and and never have a nasty thought or an emotional upheaval again. Now that's not what's happened to me, and all as you may have noticed. It's not, that's not uh, the way things are. But the ability to, to observe the, the emotion. It's quite, quite, uh, uh, quite marvelous just on that level. Being, uh, just being, knowing that whatever Conditions arise, they cease, and, and, and it's not just a, a kind of a, a quoting from the scriptures type knowledge, but it's, it's actual insight that that is the way it is. And to have this trust, uh, this I realize that I've had enormous faith in the Dhamma, so that that's carried me through a, 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 a lot of. Uh, Difficult times. And I have. I have. I, I realize that my faith in the in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha is is particularly strong. I never thought of it like that, but when I when I see what happens to so many others, I re- <laughs> I realize that it, it is uh, quite unusual for a Western person to to have that that kind of uh, faith. I'm not boasting, I'm just, just kind of commenting because it used to baffle me a lot uh, over the years, uh, the disillusionments that people would have uh, uh, because uh, to me uh, that wasn't, wasn't uh, a problem uh, in terms of uh, disillusionments around the uh, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Also, uh, one needs a, a kind of 
strong intention, you know, that for liberation. And this this is where uh, you need to really trust in your own ability to be aware. You know, it's not a matter of you becoming somebody who's aware through practicing meditation. It's actually trusting yourself in the present to to be, to wake up to what's happening, not to judge it or or analyze it or figure out why you feel this way or what's wrong with your if, you know that you feel like this, but just to observe just the pure state of of awakened awareness. If you trust in that, if you really uh, develop a confidence in that, in your ability to, because you can all do that. You know, it's not something that you that uh, you can't do, but it, to trust in it, because the world does uh, is a very uh, intimidating experience, and and all the kind of worldly pressures, social pressures, emotional habits are all full of. Urgencies and and uh, incredibly important issues and you know difficult problems and and impossible situations and and so forth. It's uh, the world is full of that. It's full of extremities, uh, absolutely shattering, totally devastating, as people like to say. Uh, their worldly experiences. I was totally devastated and absolutely shattered when you looked at me that way the other day. <laughs> because that's how it feels sometimes, isn't it? It, it feels, in as much as we we might, you know, intellectually uh not you know we can think of our we can see our own lives and our own egos and our own problems and put them down as trivialities compared to say the problems that other people have they're really you know really really heavy really difficult people in uh in Cambodia or or uh, people that have you know really difficult situations and terminal illnesses, diseases, losses, and then we can look at our own petty little problems here at Amravati and and feel guilty about uh, the fact that we're making a lot of uh, about uh, something that isn't. We can we can make that kind of judgment, but that's that's not necessary to do that. It's the important thing. You know, it doesn't matter. Just no, that's the way it is. It's like this. It's not a matter of uh, comparing it to to something else. So that sometimes the the, the little in uh, in monastic life, little things, little tiny slights, and you don't feel you've been 
fully accepted or fully appreciated or or that you've been ignored or your view hasn't been considered. These things you can also dismiss as, as uh, you know, don't make an issue about little trivial things. That's one way of dealing with it. That's, that's like resisting and denial. The other is to is to really, you know, hang on to it and, and uh, make a, an issue about it. And then the middle way is to observe that that's the way it is. It feels like this, to feel ignored uh, and unappreciated. It feels like this. So then you're actually turning the experience into a, into a, into a, uh, aware, you're using awareness and wisdom with it. And so that is, uh, that's what we can do, isn't it? That's the, what, what we can do, no matter what happens to us, you know, how fair life is going to be for us or unjust it will be. We can, uh, we, we always have the, the opportunity to use the experience. And so that, you need to trust yourself to do that. And also to see, to, to not believe anymore. Uh, I encourage you all to never believe anything, the, all the views and, and ideas you have about yourself. Don't believe any of them. Uh, so it's better just to, to, you know, listen to them, they are the way they are, I'm this kind of person, and that that happens to be a thought in the present. But observing the changingness of that thought, rather than believing uh, in that thought as being what I really am. Because in terms of uh, your real refuges in Dhamma, not in, uh, in some kind of personal qualities, or conditioned uh, ideas. So I like I listen and hear hear myself. You know, over the years I've listened to to my emotional habits and. They go on and get. Uh, I've always had a lot of uh, righteous indignation to deal with, and strong emotions like that. You get really self-righteous or indignant, and uh, um, that that is a very strong one. And a lot of resentments, uh, resenting things that. Uh, you know, about, and especially in community life, there's, there's always a lot of resentment. When you're living with people, they always resent certain things. And especially when you've lived with them for a long time. And so, resentment, and, uh, um, longing. You can see so many people disrobe because of a longing for Relationship or some kind of intimate, warm, loving relationship 
with somebody else and that kind of longing is a very strong uh, and believable uh, emotion so and and that that also is uh, is uh, can be seen as impermanent so the willingness to use those kind of that that kind of uh, uh, those situations that arise in life, like in monastic life, you still experience all those longings and and uh, and indignation, righteous indignation, and resentment, and and then fears and jealousies, and and uh, all the rest. Uh, this is you know, it's a, you don't you don't become unhu- uh, unhuman when you become a monk or not. <laughs> it's still, your karma still ripens. But it's, the choice then is how we, how we uh, re- respond to that. And then how, how do we respond to that? And that's the point of this monastic life. The, you know, the, it is, it's a, uh, the, if you if you use it, use the form, the robe, and the and the four the four requisites and the tradition we have is to remind you to awaken, to be aware, to to really observe the way it is. It's like this. And then the then the life is the monastic life is based on ahimsa, so it's harmless, isn't it? And uh, you're you're not you, you know your your way you live. We we live our life is is through being harmless. We're not intentionally harming or abusing or doing things uh, so that the karmic. The, act, the actual active karma of our lives is, is quite neutral. And then the, the speech and action and speech, livelihood, say, of monasticism is quite new. It, it tends towards neutrality. Neither this nor that. And so all this helps towards a reflecting ability to to use that stillness of the mind and to to allow the emotions you're experiencing to accept them to to let them be the way they are to be patient with them to in that space of silence in that infinity of silence you can actually become become so aware of just the subtle movements uh, of your emotional habit so you get to know them so well that they, they no longer do they, you know, do they have the ability to take you over, to uh, delude you. Then our journeys to Cambodia and Thailand. It was. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was uh, uh, 
nothing um, nothing bad happened uh, had diarrhea I think <laughs> not the worst thing maybe that's perfect and then the uh, uh, economic depression of Thailand is as far as I was concerned it, that, that wasn't really the problem it was uh, people's uh, reaction to it they're creating you know, anxiety, worry uh, about it and of course a lot of people are in, in economic difficulties uh, families and that I'm not trying to dismiss or deny the problems but in spite of all that, you realize, like in Thailand, you realize people do have a a wise religion to turn to if uh, if when things when things go bad, at least culturally, they've got something there that that is that is wise to uh, to catch them, and so. Uh, as things get more economically difficult in Thailand, more and more people are uh, there's, there's movement, and some people are turning to meditation, some people to various kind of uh, uh, magical groups or you know superstitions and things. But but the good side is that many more people are, uh, you know using the situation quite well. Many people I know have handled it extremely well, you know, lost and, and worry about the future. They've done, because of their meditation, people I you know in Thailand, none of them are, are committing suicide, or the ones I know anyway. Uh, or you know, and the ones that I've talked to, people who I know for many years, are able to take it, able to uh, work with that, to respond to the economic strife that they're experiencing with wisdom. The last week, uh, last week I was up in, uh, a week ago I was up in Chiang Mai, the northern Thailand, in this beautiful place, uh, up in the mountains, where they have this waterfall, and, uh, and the, the owner built a, a little sala, uh, meditation hall right on the, right on the, uh, river. And so you, this lovely little uh, building, quite quite attractive looking building, and sits right right next right by the by this stream, this rushing stream, and uh, the whole place is like beautifully landscaped, and they have all the little houses there. It's called Pongyang Garden Village. It's done up like a village, and all these. Kind of what they call Lana style 
Northern Thai style farmhouses. But I mean, they're all they're made to look like farmhouses, but they're quite uh, posh chalets, actually, uh, but very tastefully done and uh, <laughs> very pleasant place to live in. But the uh, the uh, the sound of this uh, waterfall and this uh, running stream is, is an ongoing sound. So when you go there, I mean, you hear the, this water, the sound of water all the time. You know, it doesn't stop or slow down. And that also and is useful uh, in, in calming people. People calm down very quickly when they hear that stream of water because uh, as you concentrate on the, on the sound of that stream, then the mind, because of its kind of flowing, moving quality, then it's a very obvious means that calm the emotional habits. So people came. People that came to this retreat were from most of them were from Bangkok, and they they were. You know, and Bangkok's not is the opposite. There's all kind of difficult and traffic jams and pollution and, and loud noises and so forth. And they they go to this Pongyang garden village and this stream, and it seems to just settle everybody down very quickly. And then the, there was the sound of silence in the center. The, the sound of silence is like that. And the more you, you tune into that, uh, say, and, and, uh, trust in, in your ability to, to be with just that kind of flux, that movement of, uh, of that whispering sound, then you, it also helps you to, well, it gives you the way out of just endlessly wrestling, moving, and resisting or following your your feelings and emotions. And it's a natural sound also that uh, that can be used for calming and for um, reflecting. Not found in the Pongyang, that the uh, actual, uh, after a while, the sound of silence became even more strong than the sound of the waterfall. <laughs> Interesting. First, the waterfall seems to, because one tends to hear those sounds, external sounds like that, as, as uh, you know, gives, we're used to giving them significance in our lives. The, the things that happen to us, the experiences that impinge on our senses. But more and more, then the, that has, is less important to us as we rest in the silence, the sound of silence, and the silence of the present uh, that is always here and isn't impinging on the senses, but is the way it is. As you contemplate in this way, and it does, like Buddha Dhamma does, it's a, it's a wisdom teaching, so it's contemplating, you know, it's, 
it's observing. You're not just, it's not magical like suddenly you, you just kind of transformed overnight into somebody else. But it, it's uh, learning to wisely reflect. And there's this Pali word, manis, uh, yoniso manasikara, you know, going right into the very origins of things. Like this, not not analyzing. Not it's not theoretical, or or logical. But it's it's that uh, intuitive, direct, intuitive looking at, seeing clearly in the present. On this uh, winter's retreat, this February. Uh, If any of you uh, want to discuss your practice with me, I'd be, uh, I'll make myself uh, available. Uh, I think it would be good if you did. Uh, Just so that you, and don't don't think, you know, you have to feel you have made any progress or anything like that. Not to impress me with your wisdom and skill at meditation, but <laughs> or if that's what what uh, you're feeling, then at least you can in- admit that. Uh, but the important thing is to, is to uh, just the uh, opportunity to uh, for encouragement, because ultimately it's up to you. You know, it's uh, something you have to to really uh, take responsibility for and uh, and do it. And uh, the way I can help is through encouraging. Uh, not telling you what to do, but uh, encouraging you. And because the, the already I've told you what to do. Wake up. <laughs> I don't need to repeat that again, but <laughs> but encourage you uh, to trust in awakeness. Uh, and uh, just from my own experience over, uh, you know, the, the monastic years of my life, you know, I realized how much if I trusted more in my in this insight, and I would have, uh, you know. It would have, uh, uh, you know, I wish, looking back, I wished I had trusted more in certain times, and I did. But even then, you, you learn from your, from the intimidations of the world is inevitably that 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 wisdom is a universal wisdom. It's perfect wisdom. It's not personal. So it, it's always with you. It's just a matter of learning to trust it, not. Not something, and, and remember it, because we forget it. You know, we easily forget and and get wound up by the conditions of life. But then, remembering, isn't it? Reflecting, remembering. So in Cambodia, there is. Saying, uh, I guess the Pol Pot and 
and uh, they're trying to annihilate Buddhism. And uh, they they killed uh, more than half the Sangha, the Bhikkhu Sangha, uh, murdered them. And they didn't do it nicely, like just shoot you in the head or in the heart. They they like to, they seem to like to torture people, like make them suffer for a long period of time. And um, there's kind of demonic in a way. It really, it wasn't even just a you know fair enough execution. It was it was a deliberate intention to and relishing. The 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 uh, pain of somebody else, and then the rest of the monks that were left were forced to disrobe and they're trying to tear down all the temples and they destroy the Buddha images. And so this um, this kind of uh, evil force, you know, trying to annihilate. Uh, Buddhism, because they they said it's a parasite, and monks are parasites on the society. There's this usual kind of Marxist type uh, criticisms, and so um, you know they they say it's Buddhism because oftentimes people in Cambodia, because their culture is is based on Buddhism and. And because Buddhism can seem to be maybe old-fashioned kind of Asian religion, and so they they start questioning what you know. One thing being a Western monk was that they they were quite surprised to see a Westerner in the robe. And that that uh, had quite a lot of impact on them. And then I was. Saying Buddhism is a is a religion of awakeness. It's a it's a, a wake up religion, not a go to sleep religion. It's not a parasite. It's not not we're not we're not trying to live a, a live a dozy life, living off the things we can get from other people, <laughs> or sucking the blood off the society, or or. Uh, or just being kind of hopeless uh, uh, dropouts that can't fit in to, to a society. Uh, but, it, you know, if, you're, if the whole point of monastic life, Buddhist monasticism, is, is uh, to develop awakeness. And so any religion, any institution can drift into perfunctory kind of... Uh, Habits and and uh, admittedly uh, sink into superstition and just performing rites and rituals, but that that's not the religion. That's not what the Buddha taught. Is it? That that's what happens when people don't wake up. When you just put on a robe and uh, and 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 just go along with a tradition and and just ride and just. Uh, uh, don't don't put it into practice. Don't don't waken to the way things are. So institutional monasticism can look 
very kind of like useless or you, there's so many ways you can find fault with it in say in Thailand uh, there's so many things you could find wrong with monast- with monasteries and temples in Thailand and they oftentimes get in the newspaper you know about this monk that did this terrible thing is scan uh, you know sensational news and it makes one you know people think uh, Buddhism is falling apart or De- degenerating it's not it, it's, people degenerate monks can degenerate but the, the Dhamma doesn't degenerate it's, it's, it's beyond that that kind of thing so it's, it's up to us isn't it to awaken to Dhamma it's a simple a simple act of paying attention to life and uh, to to learn from it, to to use this life we have uh, for awakened awareness, using wisdom, and then our part in the society, the moral part. We're we're moral. Uh, we 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 live within the parameters of uh, of moral restraint, and. Uh, and we're harmless. We're not. We're not intentional to harm. We're moral and harmless, and we're and awake. So that is something that every society needs: people who are morally responsible and choose to be harmless and are awake. So that's, but that's up to each one of us, isn't it? That's something you can't make make somebody. You cannot force it on somebody. So that's why uh, to ordain you have to ask. You have to you have to ask three times, don't you? And uh, it's you know, it's, 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 it's something coming from you. It's uh, it's, some, it's something within you that, that's moving out, that that is awakened, that's take that is growing up, that's taking responsibility. So here, and even though you've taken dependence on me this evening, it's not a kind of uh, I'm the father and you're the children dependence. Don't look at it like that. That I'm I'm the daddy and you're all dependent upon me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's that's not what it means, but it is a, it is uh, a relationship of mutual dependence, and that dependence is based on taking responsibility for ourselves, not on playing roles of dependency and and expecting, demanding. Uh, things from each other, but it is uh, to support each other in that awakened state, to to kind of help and encourage, and to uh, um, move in in that way. So our relationships are based on on that kind of mutual compassion 
respect and encouragement. So even though we we might break down and lose ourselves or or get lost, uh, that's part of it in the monastic life. We have to allow people to break down and to to become disillusioned, but them and to um, be fed up with it and and be critical and so forth. But then the the encouragement is to awaken to that state. You know, to to encourage somebody to observe what they're doing rather than to say they shouldn't feel the way they're feeling or whatever. So it's a different and it's a much more beautiful relationship we have rather than just a, a party line that we all have to adopt in a in a, in a, in a style of life that we have to uh, conform to. But it it's much more, uh, you know, it's much more, it's a mature way of relating, which is to be patient with oneself, with each other, and when, when it is possible to encourage people, each other, to, to really observe, awaken, to trust in their, in your ability to pay attention and and observe whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>